Principle Matters Podcast, episode 356. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principle Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're talking about escaping the black hole of urgency with my special guest, Dr. Frederick Buskey. Frederick Buskey lives in Callohee, North Carolina, and helps assistant principals live and lead better by teaching them how to escape the black hole of urgency. Building on 32 years of K-12 and higher education leadership experience, Dr. Buskey provides simple frameworks and tools to help school leaders spend less time putting out fires and invest more time in growing teachers. Dr. Buskey hosts the Assistant Principal Podcast, and he writes a daily leadership email and supports assistant principals through Apex, an online group coaching and learning community. You can read more about Dr. Buskey at his website or connect with him through LinkedIn, and we'll share his contact information here at the end. Dr. Frederick Buskey, it is so great to be in a room with you. Why don't you why don't you fill in the gaps on that intro and tell listeners something else I may be surprised to know about you? And did I pronounce your town correctly? The town is Cullowee, North Carolina. So we're just a few, this is, we're a few miles from the Kuala boundary, which is the the home of the Eastern band of the Cherokee. So mm-hmm. a lot of our place names here um, go back to that language and, and that history. Well, I think on, well, in terms of, things that might surprise people. I try to bring this calm and this wisdom aura as on, on this journey with assistant principals, but I am hyper, hyper competitive. And in fact, I've had to give up basketball. I love playing basketball, but I just cannot dial back. And so a lot of my playing was on college campus with other faculty members, and we would have graduate assistants, come by and I was working at two division one schools. So the graduate assistants were pretty talented and I just could not stop myself. You know, here I am 50 years old trying to compete with a 25 year old D one athlete. It just wasn't. So I'm just so competitive. Um, and it's been a long journey to try to dial that back. Um, much You're one of those guys. Of so, so yeah. when I played basketball, Frederick, I was I, I, I love the game and I could be intense, but there was always the other guy on the court who was not satisfied unless he was crushing other people. And so somehow I, I have a sense that if you and I were on the court together, Frederick, you would be not happy unless you were crushing it. You know, it's, it's not so much about the winning. It is my desire to excel at everything I do. Um, which is both a blessing and a curse, but, and that's what my family would never understand. I don't get frustrated because I lost. I get frustrated because I didn't play perfectly because I'm processing all the mistakes that I'm, oh, if I'd have done this card or made this move, or if I only rolled the dice better, you know, whatever it is, uh, I always wanted to have it be perfect. And you know, somebody finally taught me that the quest for perfection is really a sign of arrogance. Mm. And so I've tried, I try as much as I can to embrace that. 
Well, let me set the stage for Principal Matters listeners, because you may have picked up that Frederick and I are very conversational because we have spent time offline just getting to know each other and building trust. And I was a guest on your podcast just recently, Frederick, which, by the way, Principal Matters listeners, if you haven't checked out the Assistant Principal podcast by Frederick Buskey, you're you will be so delighted if you log in and listen into his episodes because Frederick is a leader of leaders. And so I, I want to just set the stage, Frederick, for, for for those that are in the room um, before we jump into some of the content that I would like you to talk about. And first, just um, give us a little history of of where you've been in your own leadership journey and what led you to doing what you're doing now. I think my I guess the leadership journey really just started, you know, as you become a teacher, you're leading all of these kids. And my first three years, I was teaching overseas in Istanbul, Turkey, and I was a physical education teacher. I had been kind of raised and enculturated into the American football culture. But when I got to Turkey, they handed me the girls basketball program, like the entire program. I had three different teams and and being with those young women ages from sixth grade through senior year, and a lot of them were boarding students. And and so, you know, I was the the coach, but the father figure for all of these young girls who were living away from home. And I think the relationships that happened during that time helped me to really understand my role as a teacher and a coach in a different way and to start to look not just at developing athletes, not just about developing human beings, but developing leaders. Mm. And, and I remember a moment in my middle school classroom, I went, I would phys ed teacher and then came back to the States during the first Gulf war, taught special ed for a couple of years and then moved into middle school history. And, you know, that's where my biggest memories are. And I remember looking out at my kids who just seemed so disengaged from the history lessons and, and thinking, you know, I'm here talking about leaders, leaders in the civil war and all these historical people, but what am I doing to actually prepare these kids to be leaders because they're the future. And so I think that's where I really started to become aware about developing leaders. And then I coordinated entry-year teacher programs for um, six or seven years. And again, so now you've got these 22, 23-year-old, we still call them kids, coming into the teaching profession in their beginning years. And some of those people you could see right away, like, wow, these, these guys are going to be leaders in their buildings, maybe from day one, or at least in a few years. And so again, trying to start to nurture that and then when I went and got my doctorate at Bowling Green State University, I was in educational doctorate in organizational change and leadership and realizing there, one of the profound shifts for me was realizing that leadership is not trying to make everybody like me. Cause I used to think if there were, you know, a million me's running around, then everything would be great in the world. <laughs> But realizing that leadership really is serving other people and, and leadership is being able to trust other people that they know the direction they need to go on. 
So if I really care about you, then I start to make it about your agenda, not my agenda. And mm -hmm. I, I would say that was one of the biggest leaps for me was realizing that leadership is service and, and that I need to trust people and help them grow. So after the doctorate, then I moved into higher education where I helped design, lead, and teach in programs at Western Carolina University and Clemson University. And those were principal licensure programs. And, and that's really where I fell in love with the assistant principalship. Because when you're teaching in those programs, your students don't go, they don't graduate into the principalship, they graduate into the assistant principalship. And so just the the stories that I hear from people and some of the loneliness and the struggles and the highs we were talking about, you know, the adrenaline energy bursts um, before we started recording. So just all that stuff has really informed the way I look at the world, the way I look at leadership. Well, and what I what I really love about your work, Frederick, is how you've taken your work from the K-12 setting and then at the university setting and then you've really targeted a segment of leadership within schools where you've really put a lot of your heart in, um, in a lot of your work through the work that you're doing now through your podcast, but also through a lot of the strategies and lessons that you teach with leaders. And the reason that we decided to call this podcast Escaping the Black Hole of Urgency is because you are a very practical teacher when it comes to leadership. And so I, I want to just dive a little bit into some of your, your, some of the practice and the wisdom that you share with others in improving their practice. And I want to start with, with your feedback on what you call the five stages of being, how to become unstuck in your work. So let's go there for, for a little bit and help us understand, like, why do people why is this so important in, in the work that you're doing with assistant principals? So the, the first thing is I want to be fully transparent. I was never an assistant principal. I was never a principal, right? I was a teacher. And then I moved into special ed coordination in, in the district office. But I think that's actually been a strength for me because when I started to work in principal licensure programs and get into the field in the internship supervision and and, and in, when we built programs and talked to principals and assistant principals, I was hyper aware that I had never done that work. And so what I've tried to do for the last 13 years is steal from the best principals and assistant principals I can find. And I mean, I would be on the FBI most wanted list if it was a crime because I've stolen everything I can. And, and then put that into packages all these great practices that other people are doing and then put those into packages that help make the complexity of the job seem a little bit simpler. So there's an origin story for me, and this is back in 2017, 2018, the year before I, I decided to pre-tire from higher education. And I was out in a rural South Carolina, is April, I pull in the parking lot, get out of the car, it's already about 80 degrees and 90% humidity, but I walk in the building and I visit with one of my interns. And then I go to stop by the assistant principal's office. I walk in the office and the assistant principal is Kelly. And as soon as I walk in there, Will, I, I just know something's wrong. You ever do that? You walk into somebody's office and you think, uh-oh, her hair's out of place. Her cheeks are flushed. There's papers all over her desk. 
I said, Kelly, what, what's wrong? And she holds a stack of yellow papers and waves them at my face. And she says, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. I have seven office referrals already. Each one of those is 30 to 45 minutes of processing and my day's done. And she's close to tears. And she talks about wanting to get into classrooms and work with teachers. And, and she says, that's all gone for me. And I asked her, Kelly, of those seven referrals, how many of those really speak more to teacher issues than student issues? She thought for a minute, Will, and she said five. Five out of those seven office referrals were more about teachers than about students. And I left that meeting and I just sat in my car for a long time. And I thought, what's happening here? Because she was a bright, passionate assistant principal. She knew she wanted to be an instructional leader and that she needed to be in there working with those teachers to improve their teaching and their strategies and skills, but she couldn't get there because she was caught. And that's where this whole idea of the black hole of urgency has come from, from, from that story really that illustrates how we just get caught up. And, and so that black hole is really about focusing on what I call urgent leadership. And so we can think of urgent leadership in four parts. The first is tasks, that we're driven by tasks and completing tasks instead of being driven by people. The second part of it then is that we respond to what's urgent at the cost of what's important. And I'm a really big Eisenhower matrix person. Most people are familiar with it. It's the four quadrants. And quadrant one is important and urgent. And that's the school safety stuff. That is the legislated policy responsibilities that those things have to get done. Quadrant two is important, but not urgent. And quadrant two is where teacher support, growth, and development lives. Quadrant three is urgent, but not important. And so the problem that happens in the assistant principalship is that you step in and you're in a role where there are so many different things expected of you. There's so much to do. You can't do it all. And so what happens is you start responding to the things that are right in front of you. So you're caught. That's the black hole of urgency. You're working in quadrant one, which you have to, but then you're also working in quadrant three because all these other urgent things are popping up. And then what happens is we, ne we neglect quadrant two, and that's where our instructional leadership is. That's where our growth is. And that's what was happening to Kelly. So she's dealing with things that probably doesn't need to invest 30 to 45 minutes with that student who got sent out of class because they didn't have their pencil for the fifth day in a row, right? So so that, that journey from urgent to strategic is figuring out, how do I move from tasks to focusing on people? How do I stop being driven by the urgent and actually be driven by the important, which is that quadrant two work? How do I stop treating symptoms and instead actually look at what the root causes of the problems are? 
And then the other piece of it is, how do I figure out how to translate my action into progress? Because I talk with a lot of assistant principals who work, I, I mean, just relentlessly and the energy and emotion that they pour into their jobs every day, they come home exhausted and they think, you know, they'll tell you, I achieved a lot. I got a lot done today, but I didn't really move my school forward. And so how do we trade action for progress? And that's what the journey's about. Support for Principal Matters comes from DigiCoach and its walkthrough tool. When Kathleen Beckham was a district director, she would walk through classrooms and see teachers engaging students in learning or observe elements missing in their instruction. And her biggest challenge was finding the time to give those teachers meaningful and helpful feedback that they would value as coaching and not correction. In the past, Kathleen spent hours in follow-up email exchanges after informal walkthroughs, but that all changed when she discovered DigiCoach. She now has a tool that can help her send immediate feedback from her phone or her tablet. DigiCoach is a fully customizable tool created by school leaders for school leaders to not only collect walkthrough data, but also ensure every teacher receives ongoing support, feedback, and coaching. It features thousands of pre-written, research-based commendations and coaching tips that can be included along with your own observation comments and a follow-up email ensuring all teachers receive effective and timely support. Are you ready to make the most of your walkthroughs with a tool that saves you time and enhances meaningful feedback to your teachers? Go to digicoach.com to learn more and please tell them Principal Matters recommended you check them out. That's digicoach.com. Support for Principal Matters comes from Aptigy. More than 3,500 school districts have switched to Aptigy since 2016 for one reason. Aptigy powers the identity of your school. We all know that communication is important, but what are you communicating? If it's just information, you're missing an opportunity to build a school brand around your strengths and values. What I love about Aptigy is how they think and talk about communication as a critical component of building your brand that engages your entire school community. With the Thrill Share platform, Aptigy brings everything you need for school marketing and communications together into a single mobile app. Write a story once and send it across your school website and mobile app, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, text messages, and voice calls. By making it easy to share stories about your strengths, you can control the conversation around your brand. Learn more about Aptigy at aptigy.com and tell them that Principal Matters sent you. So let's pause there for a second because when you think of the five stages of being unstuck in your work. If I'm trying to summarize where you're going, Frederick, you know, the first thing you talked about was recognizing how task driven we become versus people or purpose, which is, and I, I think, I think it was in my conversation with you when you had me as a guest on your podcast, where you use that word, um, people, people over, 
purpose. And so, you know, just the importance of recognizing that our work first has to be people-centered. So how are we helping the people, accomplishing the mission of the people whom we're serving? Um, and then area two is recognizing the difference between urgent and important. So then you broke that into those four quadrants of quadrant run, one is important, something that is important and urgent. Quadrant two is something that is important but not urgent. Quadrant three is something that is urgent and not important. So I'm assuming quadrant four is it's not important and it's not urgent. Correct. Okay. <laughs> I so, never talk about quadrant four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we, we almost never get there. Uh, although there are some things on your to-do list that you would be surprised if you looked at at the end of a year that you never got to and you realized it actually wasn't important and it wasn't urgent. Um, but so, at, some, at some point, someone thought it was or it wouldn't have been on your list. So keep keep walking us down that road as you think about the five stages of being unstuck. Um, how do tasks and urgency lead you to the to, to your next ideas? So that first stage is understanding what urgent leadership is mm -hmm. and understanding why it's so hard to escape, what that pull is. Okay. The second stage is then what I call the U-turn. And the second stage is about understanding that time management is not the solution, right? We all think if we just were more efficient, if we did a better job organizing and doing our time, we could manage our way out of the black hole. But you can't because the problem is not time management. The problem is priority management. And once we start to understand that we don't need to manage our time, but we need to manage our priorities, we start looking at our work differently. I, I remember the, the incident that really flipped this switch for me. Well, I was in a principal's office. She was principal of a small elementary school. She had no assistant principal. So she was, she was the person. And I had been in a lot of schools that semester and was used to principals and assistant principals telling me how late in the evening they worked when they were doing all the work on weekends. So I, I asked this principal, I said, you know, what time do you, do you finish every night? Like, you've got to be working a lot of hours. She says, I make sure I leave here by 4.30 every day. I said, well, how do you get everything done? And she said, well, I don't, but it'll be waiting for me tomorrow. And I just thought, wait a minute, I, she has more to do than a lot of other elementary principals who may have these other personnel to support. How, how does she do that? And that helped trigger what I call the three epiphanies. So the per, first epiphany is we can't do everything. You can't. The second epiphany is that if we can't do everything, that means that we choose what gets done and not get done. Like, that's where the power is. By de what happens with urgent leaders is that we don't, we make that choice by default. We're not even conscious of it, that we're choosing to do the urgent stuff. So part of the progression is realizing that I choose. I can choose to take five minutes to have a coaching conversation with a teacher instead of run down to the cafeteria to check on whatever, right? I can choose to do that. And then the third epiphany, which I think is hard, is that our choices reflect our values. 
So we're always going to say, I want to be an instructional leader. I want to support and grow teachers. But when our choices don't reflect that, then we have to do some internal soul searching. Yeah. So let me pause there for a second and just, you know me, get really practical. So when I'm thinking about leaders with whom I work, and even when I think about my practice, Frederick, in the years that I spent in the principalship, you know, time management is one of those areas that just seems to eat everybody's lunch. And so I love it that you said, change the focus to priority management. And I'll give you an example. That's one of the reasons why I encourage leaders before they ever step into a school year. And for those that are listening to this podcast, we're we're recording it actually in spring, but it won't come out probably until summer or maybe even till people are in their first month of school. So whenever you're listening to this Principal Matters listeners, I still think this will apply as you're looking at a new school year. Have you already scheduled in advance the things you're going to prioritize? Because those, whether that's classroom instruction, observations, student advisory groups that you want to meet with, those staff meetings that you know are going to be so important. Have you already placed them on your schedule now for the entire year so that they are blocked out into your schedule in advance so that you can work the urgent around them and not work them around the urgent? So I just want to pause there, Frederick, for, for that as you talk about the U-turn. So turn so turn your eyes toward the what's the priority and schedule that. So, Will, I love it because what you just did was take us to stage three. Okay. So stage two is that realization. And so in stage two, I start to look at my school and my work differently. But that doesn't change the school. That doesn't change the work. That doesn't change the expectation that people have on me. And that doesn't change the way our systems operate. So stage three is what I call a transition to intentional leadership. So now I'm going to move from tasks to systems because I understand if I keep getting pulled out of the classroom for emergencies, that's a systems problem. That means that we don't have systems in place to protect my time in classrooms. We don't have somebody who's available always to be on call. We don't rotate that duty so different people can get into classrooms. That's a structural problem. When we haven't adequately defined what an emergency is and we haven't educated our people on how to respond to emergencies, right? that's a training problem and, again, a people problem. And so in stage three, when I'm being intentional, I'm moving from tasks to systems. I'm thinking about reacting to being intentional and being aware that I am making choices. I stop looking at symptoms and I start to understand that any issue probably has multiple layers to it. And then actually, well, I'm making the effort in stage three to move from action to non-action. So what I start to try to do is implement a couple of strategies that help me to not do stuff because that starts to break the habit of being urgent. And I think one example of that is, is monkeys, right? People love to give you their, their monkeys. And assistant principals, we have that servant heart. So when somebody comes and says, I have this problem, you jump in and say, yes, I can fix it. 
But a lot of times that problem has nothing to do with making the school better. It has nothing to do with actually supporting and growing a teacher. It's just a monkey. It's somebody else's monkey. And so learning how to not take other people's monkeys and how to give them back to them, that non-doing, that non-action is what starts to pave the way then for stage four. So when we change other people's expectations, when we start to refine our systems and build our systems so that the school's more working more effectively, right? That's not time management. That's priority management. Yeah. And I'll just jump in to say that that is probably the area when I'm coaching with leaders where leaders get stuck is when I ask that strategic question, which is if you're going to say yes to this priority, what are you going to say no to? And I can't tell you the number of times I've asked that question, Frederick, where leaders will just look at me and they'll say, I have to get back to you on that because I'm not sure what I can say no to. And my response to that is usually patience, but I also just want, I usually keep pushing because sometimes I I turn these reflection questions on myself. And I realize that even in my own practice, of course, as a former leader, but now as a support for leaders, that that's the hardest question for me to ask myself too. And so I think it's really important that you give yourself permission to reflect on, even though we're going fast through these stages, Frederick, I just want principal managers, listeners, give yourself permission to really stop and reflect on what are those things you can stop doing that would open up opportunities for you to prioritize. I'll give you, and here's a quick example. I used to carry around a notebook with me as I walked through my school and I would take notes of people's concerns so I could follow up on until I realized that I was spending so much time, hours a day following up on those written down concerns. So one simple thing I stopped doing, I said no to, I stopped carrying around a notebook. And when people wanted a follow-up, I would say to them, if this is really a concern you'd like me to follow up on, if we haven't settled it here or come up with a solution or I haven't redirected you, then can you send me an email and I'll follow up with you um, and we'll figure out a time when we can we can reconnect. And most of the time, I would say half the time, I never got an email back because they didn't want a solution right then or, and they didn't want me to follow up. They just wanted to vent. And so just by saying no to carrying around my notebook, I began to reduce the hours of follow-up I was doing each day with the things I was carrying around with me and assigning to myself that were not priorities. Yeah. Ah, I love it. And and again, now you've taken us to stage four (laughs) because stage four is figuring out then how you take the time that you are saving and pulling out of stage three. And how do you invest that, excuse me, invest that in a couple of high leverage practices. And I want to make clear, we're not talking about hours. You're not going to walk in and read the paper and have a cup of coffee and then be able to spend all day in classrooms. That's not the reality. We're talking about five minutes here, five minutes there. So going back to Kelly's story, if she could find five or 10 minutes a day to go in and work with one of those teachers and help that teacher get better at classroom management. So now the child's not getting kicked out of out of class. Well, she just saved 25 minutes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we can do some of these things in just a few minutes. In your example, instead of having talking about what's your concerns, what if you did a little five-minute coaching session, right? Hey, tell me what went well in your lesson today. Were there any surprises 
Is there anything you'd do differently? You don't have to have the answers, right? You're just providing a space to help a teacher walk through reflection on their lesson. And, and in doing that, you've built trust because you're not offering, you're just, you're just providing that space for them. You're not giving them feedback. You're communicating that you value them, that their teaching's important, that you trust them, that you care enough to bring your time and your attention to them. And so that's a perfect example of how we flip from being task oriented. Hey, what, you know, do you have any concerns? What can I do for you? To being people focused and people oriented. Like, tell me about your teaching. Tell me what's going on and what's working well and what the surprises were. There's so many applications here, Frederick. It's hard for me to, to stop. So I'll, I've just got to say a couple of things before we jump into it, the fifth area. So investing, how do you invest the saved time into instructional practice? And I would just add there, how do you invest your time wisely so that you're saving time for yourself later? Mm-hmm. And here's a just a here's a really good example for assistant principals because I was in that role for nine years. So let me just say this to APs out there. Um, there's a temptation sometimes when you're dealing with children to try to cut corners. And one corner we try to cut sometimes is that I've just had a hard conversation that I don't really have time to reach out to a parent with this follow-up or a guardian because it's just going to add another thing of my to-do list. What I've discovered, not in every case, there's sometimes where you have a small interaction with a child and you just move on. But but if I brought them into my office the time that I'm going to spend picking up the phone afterwards and getting a hold of a parent or a guardian is going to save me way more time down the road. One, because the parent and guardian now are going to be reinforced with the conversation I just had with this child so that it's reinforced at home. And they know I love and support the kid. And I'm just letting them know the conversation we had. It's not a get you in trouble call. And it also saves me more time down the road because now we have reinforcement of the ideas I've just shared with the student coming from more than one person. And this child and the parent know now that we have this circle of trust that's been built of that everybody's on the same page when something's going on. And, and often it saves the story being told by the child before I was able to give the version that actually happened in my office, which is another 30 or 40 minute conversation that could happen if I don't make that call. So I know that there's a temptation to go as quickly as you can sometimes through a scenario, but just investing the time in a very strategic way will save you time. Wait, and and there's, there are sometimes when things are piled on you and I realize you can't do that, but I'm just giving that as one simple example. And I could give more, but I'll stop there, Frederick, because I think that's, that's an application. Well, it's so powerful because I can spend time doing discipline or I can invest time in people. And you use that word, invest. And when I call the parent and build that relationship and I'm not checking a box, I'm calling the parent because we need to be on the same page for the kid, right? Now that is an investment of time. So I, I love that example. Well, let's the, step into your your fifth area. So where where do you land this plane? So, and I'm just gonna summarize for listeners. So we have an understanding of the of our task and the difference between urgent and important. We have a realization or the U-turn, as you call it, where we begin to prioritize versus just manage time. We have a transition, number three, 
into intentional leadership where we're beginning to create systems, not just complete tasks. And then we learn how, number four, to invest our time into that we're that we're saving into targeted practice. So we're we're I'm just so curious, Frederick. I can't wait to hear what the fifth one's going to be. So the fifth one is where we land on that spot of strategic leadership. And the essence of strategic leadership is working in quadrant two to support and grow your people. So there are four Ps in strategic leadership. The first one is people. The second one is purpose. So that goes back to that Eisenhower matrix and being driven by purpose, not urgency. The third one is problems. Because we can never solve problems if all we do is treat symptoms. So strategic leaders engage in specific root cause analysis. They take time to understand what the real problems are that are underlying the challenges they have. And then the fourth P is progress. They prioritize progress over action. And I think we, we miss the boat in action in a couple different ways as school leaders. Versus we're just in that busy zone, right? So we we confuse action for progress. The other thing we do is we fall victim to the shininess of big change. And we bring in huge change initiatives when we don't need to do that. So I'm a big advocate of keeping things simple. Like just work A to B, do minimally viable plans and ask as little of people as possible. I, I was working with a couple of graduate students and they were talking about their school was going to bring in PBIS because they had this increase in discipline problems. So I said, okay, before you bring in PBIS, let's look at your discipline data. And what they found was that almost all of the increase in discipline problems was coming out of two classrooms, right? And one of those, one was one student who they had a kid that was just really struggling, highly stressed and not coping with things well. So they had all these discipline problems, but it was one kid. And the other one was one classroom. So many times we don't look at those root causes. We're looking at the symptoms. And so we embrace some big, huge program that then takes so much of our resources away, not just monetary resources, but our time, our attention. So we're asking teachers, instead of improving your craft, we're asking you to implement a rewards program and do all this other stuff. So progress means not just sticking in action, but taking small incremental steps every day. I love that. And I, and that's such a practical way to land this conversation, Frederick, because what you've been able to do as a person, as a professor who's built programs, and now as someone who supports leaders in schools, is you've been able to take really a, a bird's eye view of the of leadership that's happening, a close-up view, but also a, a bird's eye view of, of leadership that's happening and then create frameworks in which you've seen principles who are working the most successfully that can be then adapted and owned by other leaders because because no one is the same. Everyone has a different personality, a different kind of school culture, a different group of kids, a different place they live, a different size, different supports, all those things. And we know that. And so 
I, I always say in this podcast that I'm trying not to be prescriptive. I'm just trying to help you reflect on where this might work for you. And so I love it that you landed that last, the progress area with what is the small steps that you can be taking daily to reach this ultimate goal. So um, I'm just checking the time because I know we need to wrap up this conversation, Frederick. And I just want to, first of all, say how powerful this half hour has been for me and for leaders to just be able to take a step back and recognize that there is a path forward because I'm just going to be frank with you, Frederick, and with listeners that when I work with leaders who feel like they're on the precipice of stepping away or doing something different or just leaving their positions, the conversation's almost always around sustainability. Like how can I continue to do this at this pace with this kind of stress? Um, And so the only answer I know to sustainability is better systems. And, and that doesn't mean that there's not immediate things that can be done to bring relief. Maybe you need more support staff, or maybe you do need more resources, or maybe you maybe you do need a different location where you've got better support and and, and you've got the trust, because all those things are super important, the foundations of what we do. But also, maybe you also need to look at your practice in ways that you can build stronger systems to make your work sustainable. And so, uh, Frederick, as we wrap up, I just want to say thank you for the amazing work you're doing. And I want to, how can listeners stay connected to you? Because this is just a snapshot of the kind of content that you're consistently sharing and coaching with others. And I know I do a lot of coaching work with principals too, but I want my listeners to know where they can find you and how they can stay connected to your work. So they can find me on LinkedIn and you can see a little bit more about my work on my website at frederickbuskey.com. But the way to connect with me and to build a relationship, which I would love to have with everybody, is to subscribe to my daily leadership email. And again, if you go to my website at frederickbuskey.com, you'll be forced to look at a little pop-up that says, subscribe to my daily email. And, And in that, I just Monday through Friday, one to 300 words, and all of these ideas and lots of other ideas, I just reference them each day. And what they do is they serve as reminders because the job is always pulling us. The black hole is always out there. And so if people want to learn more about what I do and profit from that work, and then also be able to build a relationship with me and and email me back, I love to hear from people. So I think that would be the best way. Go to frederickbuskey.com, fill out the little form that pops up and subscribe to the daily email. That would be great. Well, Principal Managed listeners, you know I will put a link in the show notes and on my website at williamdparker.com along with this episode so that you can find that contact information for Frederick Buskey. Frederick, as we wrap up, um, I, I just want to ask this one last question before we go. You've been you've been a listener to this podcast for a long time. And so I'm just really curious, how has Principal Matters benefited you in the work that you're doing? Um, Because it's always so encouraging for me to connect with another leader who's also um, learning from this content too. Long before I began the podcast, probably before I even thought about the podcast, I was listening to you on on my car drives out to those rural schools. And two things have always jumped out at me. One is just, just your calmness and, and your presence is just so affirming and reassuring. And that comes across, you know, through the, 
through the podcast. And so when I began to think about establishing my own podcast, I really patterned a lot of it after you and, and after the discussions that you have with people and just the, just the dignity and, um, I don't know, just the closeness that you're, the intimacy that you're able to bring to the shows. And then the other thing is that it always comes back to people, mm. right? You always bring that, that part back. And the guests that you have on are about those relationships and about those people. And, you know, if I could leave people with one thing, it is that it is about people. The leadership journey is not a journey to a destination. It is a journey of us walking along with people, sometimes walking ahead, sometimes walking behind, and sometimes walking beside. And and you remind us of that, I think, constantly in your show. And so that's the thing that we can all do and we can get better at every day with very little effort. Thank you for saying that, Frederick. It, it's it's encouraging to me, but I also just want to place this back into the minds of our listeners too, that right now, whatever you're getting ready to do, you may be stepping into a day or stepping out of a day. Um, you may be listening to this while you commute or while you're doing dishes. I know I listen to podcasts in all those settings. You're going to run into somebody today who needs you to be intentional in reminding them that that they matter, that that they are valuable, that they are the reason that you're serving in that school. It could be a parent, it could be a custodian, it could be a counselor, it could be a teacher, and of course it could be a student. Um, but all of them, um, man, all of them deserve the same kind of respect we want others to show to us, Frederick. So thank you for that reminder. And for those of you that listen to this show regularly, thank you for being a part of this learning community and I just want to say, Frederick, thank you so much for the wisdom you shared. Um, best wishes as you're stepping into whatever season you're stepping into. And Principal Matters listeners, thank you for doing what matters. We'll talk to you again soon. You can find free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com. Check out the services link on williamdparker.com to learn more about Leadership Academies, Mastermind offerings, and executive coaching. If you're planning professional development for the year ahead, or you're looking for keynote presentations from any of my books, please email me at will at williamdparker.com. Thank you for learning together today, and thanks again for doing what matters.